The reason why so many people do not see the hand of God in their life and experience Him is because they do not have faith. The reason that faith is so difficult to exercise is because it is hard. It is very hard to exercise faith. And the reason why faith is hard is because the Bible says God is not pleased apart from our faith. It says that it's impossible to please God without faith in Hebrews 11.6. Faith is only proven genuine in the face of difficult circumstances and testing. That's why faith is so hard. Okay, In order for God to be pleased, there must be faith. In order for there to be faith, there must be trials. Faith, as Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 6-7, faith must be tested. It must be proved genuine, which will result in praise, honor, and glory for Christ Jesus when He is revealed. So there again, it's impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible to prove faith without trials. And it's impossible to have genuine faith without passing those tests. Michael Commentary. This next recording caught me by wonderful surprise. The title of the message that I had titled it was, it says, PRIVATE in all capital letters. And it's got the number 122 in it message. And so I'm like, wow, this will be really interesting. I wonder what is in this message that I wanted to be private. And you'll hear somewhat dramatically the introduction is, hey, listen, unless you are one of my family members or my children, if you ever come across this message, please stop listening to it now for my benefit. And of course, I was a little bit reserved to share this message just out of humility of not wanting to self-exalt. But because this message is five and a half years ago, and because it is a promise of God, there are no promises of God that I feel that are private. God does everything pretty much to be visible because it brings him glory. The promises to Abraham are not private. They were written for all of human history to read if they so choose to do so. The promises to Joseph were not private. The promises to David that the Messiah would come through his kingdom and he would never fail to have an heir sit on his throne. The promises throughout all of scripture to anybody every, ever used by God were made public. Why? So that we could know juicy details about that individual's life? No. So that we could know with certainty that the God of our spiritual fathers is faithful. So I'm going to let this recording play. I praise God for this. I don't even fully have the ability to grasp the meaning of it, the weight of it. And I just thank God. I thank God for him. I thank God for his promises. And so far be it from me to hide. The Bible says, I will not seal my lips amongst the great assembly, but will proclaim the wonderful deeds of the Lord. And the scriptures all throughout the Psalms talk about proclaiming and tell what he has done to the whole earth. And so this would be no exception. In my own humility, I would want to hide this, but for the glory of God, I shall not. End of commentary. This is a pretty... Uh, I don't even know how to describe this recording... It's intimidating, and it is potentially uh, truly unbelievable at the same time. And basically, my mom came over today to bring groceries. I've been working on, actually last night I went to bed listening to a message by Charles Stanley, and he began to talk about Joseph. And he gets to the part where Joseph is having the dream about all of them bowing down for him, and that's a to him, and that's about the last part of the dream that I remember. And I remember just putting myself in that situation, going, "Yeah, can you imagine how difficult that would be if God gave you a dream like that and it was real, and you had to tell your family, or you, you shouldn't have? I wouldn't have told anybody, but that's why I want to keep this very private. I'm not going to tell anybody." 
Like, I'm not telling anybody this recording. This is a very private recording. In fact, unless you are my children, my parents, or my wife, and you find this recording, I would ask that you stop listening to this right now, um, just out of respect for me. But um, until I decide to, to ever share, if I ever do, I'm just... I could be making something out of nothing, but it could be that God has spoken the most uh, the most profound promise to me today. I walk into the kitchen as my mom is bringing um, groceries in, and I have been working on this video about faith that pleases God. I did this video last night in the woods about faith that actually pleases God, and so I'm working on that, and I walk in the kitchen staring directly at me is 111 and I just was like oh god thank you mark 111 and a voice came from heaven saying you are my son whom I love with you I am well pleased and I've been seeing 322 which is the exact same scripture in I believe it's Luke Uh, it's such a new scripture that I'm not even 100% sure um, which one it is but anyhow I've been seeing this exact same scripture and let me just look it up here real quick yeah, it's Luke 3.22. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So, God has been showing me that number. I think I saw it like three or four times yesterday, or at least in the last couple of days. And it's like every time, it's like God is just honoring me. I feel like God is honoring me, that He is literally telling me that, and He's telling me, in response to the work that I'm doing and my commitment to love Him and going and praying and obeying Him to the best of my ability. And it's it's the hardest one for me to hear, but I'm receiving it by faith. I dare not say, oh, that can't be for me. Oh, no. God has been speaking this to me for a while, <clears throat> but I just found it interesting. There's this new one now. So that happens. Then... As she's getting ready to leave, I look over on either my phone, and it's 122, and that catches my attention. And then I go, a few seconds later, I look at the clock on the left, it's 122, and I thought, Lord, is it possible that you want me? I Like, I took a notice. It's like the Holy Spirit, I don't know how to describe it, you just, you notice, and it's like you notice it more than with your eyes, you notice it in your spirit. I'm getting to the point now where I can see a number one time and the Spirit can say, it's a number, look it up. I sell that and then as I'm standing there wondering, you know, if that, is that God, are you telling me about that? I'm sitting here looking at the computer or the the clock on the microwave and as I'm saying that, it turns to 122. So now that's three 122s in just a matter of minutes. So naturally, I start with Genesis and uh, start looking up the scripture, and I go to Genesis one twenty two, no, and then I go to Genesis twelve two, and my heart almost stopped. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I immediately had this. Well, that can't be me. I mean, those are words directly for. Abraham, and at the same time, I'm thinking to myself, here God had just said to me, He loves me. He's been showing me more and more, and the way He's showing it to me is by using numbers that point to scriptures that that were for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible says that He is the first of many brethren, first of many brothers, first of many sons. So, we can know that God loves us, Maybe not to the same extent or same way that he does Jesus, but in the same spirit. So I see this and I think to myself, Lord, you've been telling me over and over again, I'm about to enter the promised land. There's been lots of people, several people, Matt, Jeremiah, a couple of other people that have said, you know, that you're going to do something really, really wonderful with my life. God, and I was just, there was a part of me, I'm embarrassed to say this, but it's already in my heart and the Lord knows it that I immediately you think there's no way God could be saying that about you. How absolutely arrogant is it you is is it of you to think that God would speak words that he spoke over Abraham and turn around and speak those <clears throat> to you. How dare you? And you think about how pious and then at the same time that sounds so humili- so humble and at the same time it sounds so unfaithful. 
I'm sitting here just having finished this whole series on faith. I think to myself, my whole life for the last four years has been nothing but, and really five years, but the last four have been everything about getting after God. How many times I've prayed, oh God, honor me so that I can honor you. Oh God, let's go get a million people. Oh God, let's do this. Use this story for your glory. And he gave me such contentment that I got to the place where I'm like, Lord, if I never saw anybody and I just tell people from my little computer, that would bless me. And anyhow, I, I'm i in that place where, you you know, it's a very weird situation. I don't dare want to deny what the Father may be saying to me. So I said, Lord, will you please confirm that for me, God? That makes me a little bit anxious. And I said, Lord, if you're speaking that to me, I will walk in it. And I will say just as Mary said, Lord, may it be unto me as you have said. Why would I dare smack God in the face for a promise? Now, there's some people who would say how arrogant and how, you know, who do you think you are so pious, all that. And I think to myself, that's the same thing people said to every man or woman of God, God ever used. Who do you think you are to think you're going to have the Son of God? Who do you think you are to think God's going to build a nation out of you? And so forth and so on. And I didn't necessarily think God is saying that He's going to make into a great nation. But I read that He would bless me and He was going to make my name great and that I would be a blessing. And everything that lines up with everything that I've been believing for and praying for, but it it just seems so, oh man, like a tidal wave If God is saying this, so anyhow, I said, Father, will you please confirm this somehow? I went and sat down on my computer. Man, it hadn't been, oh, I don't know, just a couple minutes. I had to slow down some footage to 40% because 50%, which is my normal default, you know, slowing footage down speed, it wasn't slow enough. I needed more length, so I went 40%. And what I did, it changed the length in seconds, 51 to 2, 122, after I had just seen this number and asked God, Lord, would you confirm? I looked at a couple of other scriptures and thought, wow, those could maybe be that, but the one that my heart just resonated on and my whole spirit got, I was like, whoa, Lord. And so, you know, in this situation, you would ask yourself, are you going to believe what God has said, or are you going to shrink back in faith? And everything I've ever read, everything I've ever done, the video I'm working on today is about God doing amazing things in your life if you'll believe. And so now, am I not to practice what I preach even when God kicks it up a notch? Am I to shrink back and think that God couldn't use me in some unbelievably significant way? Have I not believed that and thought of that for years? But honest to goodness, it is intimidating when it seems to me that the Father has spoken this direct word to me. But it does seem to line up with everything I have believed about the purpose for my life since I was a little boy. Not knowing that God would use me through Jesus Christ, but now knowing that God is going to use me through Jesus Christ. I mean, obviously, I leave the results for Him and trust Him, but I'm going to continue to ask that God would speak this to me and confirm This message to me. I'm going to ask him to confirm. I don't want to be like, Lord, I don't want to know that I'm picking something here and just getting myself a crazy head thinking that you're telling me this. I don't want to do that. But my goodness, would this change the way I begin to think and operate in all kinds of ways if it turns out that God is speaking this to me. So here it is. It is uh, 4.46 on... Oh, whatever day this is, I have no idea. I've already said the day in the beginning of the recording, but I'm getting ready to ask the Father to confirm this and then just trust Him about this. Wow. I really just want to make this recording as an example of the timing of of Satan, the way he works. So, strategies. His strategy is always to hit right after, you know, some sort of a blessing to try to rob you of your joy. And, of course... The more you see this, the less it affects you. But tonight, I've uh, sent, I've called again, and it's been over, I think now it's been four and a half weeks since I have spoken with my children, and I have emailed and texted and called every day, if not every other day, 
for the last four and a half weeks. And this has been going on now for months and months where she's making it to where I only get to talk to them every two, three weeks, six weeks, four weeks. I mean, it's it's really just out there. And I've just kind of allowed it because I'm it's out of my control and I've just been nice to ask her what's going on. Well, tonight, my mom just called me and said that the children called their house again. This is twice now. I think she, Kaylee called a couple of days ago. She always has the twins call. She called and said, you know, we need dad's address. Well, honey, his address is here. This is his mailing address. Well, we don't have dad's address or phone number. When I heard my mom talking, she said, okay, hang it up. So my poor children are under such evil from this woman. I mean, it it never ceases to surprise me, but it ceases to affect me. And I just, I wrote her an email and I said, hey, is there a particular reason this is a text? I've just been keep asking her, hey, have the kids call me. I don't ever say anything or question it. Tonight, it's, is there a particular reason why you're preventing the children from calling me for four weeks at a time and then having them intentionally call my parents' house knowing I'm not there the last two times? Have I or the children done something to deserve this kind of treatment? If so, please let me know. Kind regards, Michael. And here God has just gone out of his way the last couple of days to tell me some really special things. And this is the way the enemy tries to come in. I just am gotten to the point now where after seeing this for so long, God has made me so strong that this doesn't even remotely affect me the way it used to. God has allowed me to be on the battlefront. It's like being in a war for years. And as it says in Second Samuel chapter 3, that the house, the war between the house of David and the house of Saul lasted a long time. And David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. And I just praise God because I remember in the very beginning where I would get, you know, so upset and my stomach would hurt and I'd be just all having nightmares and just the way she would treat me and I'm just so evil and how dare somebody. And now I'm just kind of like, you know, I pray for her every single day and I ask God to bless her and I don't even have the capacity to feel angry at her. I'm angry at the evil, but not at her. And I just so totally recognize You know, this will be such an important recording one day because I look at all the fruit that's being produced. It's incredible what God has done. All of this evil that has come at me, God has turned it all around and strengthened me by the Spirit of Christ. And now, when people call me from around the world and they're going through difficult things, there's nothing anybody has told me that I I can't say, Hey, I know exactly what that feels like. And let me tell you how God wants you to see this and how you need to respond. And I'm able to help people because God has made me strong and firm and steadfast. And he's blessed me so much. You know, I am so unbelievably thankful. I just... When my mom called me to tell me this, I'm sitting here trying to watch a movie and just chill out after working on a video all day. And when my mom called me to tell me this, I just said, God, thank you. I know that you have eyes to see and ears to hear and that you're going to take care of all this. And God, I just thank you for being in charge. And I thank you for watching over me and my kids. And I thank you for allowing this evil. And it's just, it's amazing. I've learned so much about God's sovereignty. And I think it's just so powerful when you really are able to connect God's sovereignty in situation A to God's sovereignty in situations B through Z, meaning all of the above. When you see that God does something nice for you, or in in providence moves on your behalf, or warns you, or protects you, or answers a prayer, or blesses you in some way, that you know comes from God. And you see this happen more than, you know, just a a couple of times where you realize and you know, now I've got hundreds and hundreds of times, but I mean, even just in the last week, you're able to then apply God's sovereignty 
God's love, God's faithfulness, God's eyes, in other words, the fact that he's omniscient and he sees it all, you're able to apply that to every other situation. You're able to, no matter what comes tomorrow, you're able to say, God, I know that you have this and you see this. The other thing that's interesting is that because I'm, I just, I just know, I mean, this is so radically cool. You know, God showed me a long time ago that is a thorn in the flesh for me. I do have an absolutely extraordinary relationship with the Father. And in the beginning, before I had um, maturity, and I'm continuing to mature, but in the beginning, when God started doing all of these things with these numbers and speaking to me and answering prayers and connecting me to people at the exact right spot and saving people's lives down to the day and just all these things and telling me about a a financial blessing and then somebody gives me a car and I give away $200 and then I get a check for $1,200. I mean, I empty out my checking account and I mean, just amazing things that God has continued to do. It would be so easy to become conceited if you didn't have strong maturity. And that's why God allows Satan to have a window into your life like this and why he allows the evil. Fortunately for me, one of the blessings is is that the more evil it is, the more you recognize the motivation behind the attack. And the more you recognize that it's so evil that God has his eyes on it and you're okay. And it's either being used for your humility, your strengthening, your correction, or your testing. And... I just see this whole thing with Satan so totally different than I used to. I have such a difficult time being afraid of Satan or even having any, really having any respect. I've almost lost any respect for him and his ability because what you realize when you read for First Samuel, you realize that Satan is being used completely under the control of God. Now, Satan doesn't realize that. He doesn't realize that he's being incited by God to cause David to make a census. He doesn't realize that the reason that he's coming on Saul and tormenting him is for the purposes of bringing humility and character development to King David so that he can be this awesome king through which the Messiah will come. Satan doesn't realize that. He just thinks it's an opportunity to destroy he just looks at it as an opportunity to wipe out the Messiah. What, what you begin to realize is the Bible says the evil spirit came from God. I mean, that means God is the one who allows it. So for a Christian, the way evil works is if you, <laughs> it has no chance at you and everything that comes at you, it's going to be guaranteed to be a blessing to you. I mean, I can't wait till I'm able to help my children in the battles they face and I'll be able to help them understand the evil that comes against them is all being controlled and throttled by God himself. And as long as you're walking in obedience to him, as long as you're walking in righteousness, in other words, you're living godly, as long as you're keeping your faith, you don't have anything to worry about. All of that nonsense that Satan brings is actually being used for your good. And no matter what Satan tries to do, imagine how frustrating it must be for him to know that I have figured this out. He can attack me all he wants. But the reality is he cannot do anything to hinder anything in my life or stop anything without God's permission. He can't do a lick. Not The Bible says that the very hairs on our head are all numbered, Jesus said. He says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and yet not one of them falls to the ground apart from the will of your Father? He says, Even the very hairs on your head are all numbered, so do not worry. Do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I just, honestly, I have such a total different perspective on the evil thing. It's just awesome. I just praise God. I thank Him so much. I mean, 
what greater gift can he give me than strong faith and to understand him and to understand the devil in these ways. And instead of believing like I did all these years that we're down here kind of all alone in this big cage with this lion who may get us unless we, you know, just hunker down and get everything just right. And then now you begin to see, nope, that lion's on a leash. He can't do anything to you that God doesn't allow. It's just amazing. Michael commentary. I want to point out the timing of this strike from Satan. You can see this pattern all throughout my recordings where there'll be some blessing that is almost always immediately followed by some antagonism from Satan and vice versa. Sometimes the biggest battles I fought with Satan are followed by a wonderful nourishing blessing and comfort from the Lord. And you see this pattern like, you know, the the arms on a, a grandfather clock swinging pendulum back and forth from good to evil, from rest to battle, back and forth and back and forth. This is evident all throughout these recordings because I captured every detail of it. You can't deny this. Now, just this morning, I've read, uh, I've caught up late on one of my devotions. I've got a Puritan-style devotional that I was reading this morning, and I thought, Lord, this is a really good one. I started the page, and I thought, you know, I want to share this at some point in the recordings, having no idea that I would have a recording like this one that fit so perfectly for it. So I'll share it. It's not uh, very long. The title of it is A Man of Strife, and the scripture is Psalm twenty-two, eleven. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. The writer writes, The Christian's life is a continual wrestling. He is, as Jeremiah said, of himself, born a man of strife. Or what the prophet said to Asa may be said to every Christian. From henceforth, Thou shalt have wars from your spiritual birth to your natural death, from the hour when you first did set your face to heaven till you shall set your foot in heaven. Israel's march out of Egypt was, in gospel sense, our taking the field against sin and Satan. And when had they peace? not until they lodged their place in Canaan. No condition wherein the Christian is here below is quiet. Is it prosperity or adversity? Here is work for both hands to keep pride and security down in the one, faith and patience up in the other. No place which the Christian can call privileged ground, meaning a place where you're not going to be attacked. Lot in Sodom wrestled with the wicked inhabitants thereof, his righteous soul being vexed with their unclean conversation. I think of how I feel about many of even just my own neighbors. He goes on, and how fares he at Zoar? Do not his own daughters bring a spark of Sodom's fire into his own bed, whereby he is inflamed with lust, meaning because they ended up sleeping with him to have children? Some may have thought, if they were, but in such a family, under such a ministry, out of such conditions and occasions, oh, then they should never be tempted as now they are. I confess A change of air is a great help to weak nature. And these forenamed as vantage ground against Satan, meaning a good family or a good ministry. But do you think you can fly from Satan's presence this way? No. Though you should take the wings of the morning, he would fly after you. These may make him change his method in tempting but not lay down his designs so long as his old friend is alive within. Remember, I've often said the greatest devil we've ever seen is the one within inside of us. He says, as long as that happens, he will be knocking at your door without. No duty can be performed without wrestling. The Christian needs his sword as much as his trowel. That, my brothers and sisters, is a great truth. Again, I always like to make the connection to the fact that 
I'm finding these things out from writers like this way after I've had this experience. Now, here's a writer who probably died two, three hundred years ago writing of the exact truth and the experiences I'm having 300 years later, all again evidence of the same spirit, the same devil, and the same God, and the same truths of God. It's amazing proof of the living God. Just incredible. And so you can see all throughout this work, I'm still constantly having to wrestle. It's very, very paradoxical, this Christian life I'm having and this Christian life that all of us are to have and many have written and great biography accounts about is that this exists where you have this amazing assurance of rest and peace in your heart. Even now, as I go through the greatest challenge I've ever faced in my life with my wife, I have had this extraordinary peace and rest in my heart. That's the greatest evidence I have of God being pleased with me and answering my faith. And this is what people have testified for for centuries, thousands of years about. So you have, on the one hand, this exceptional amount of grace and peace and rest. But literally right behind it, every day or every other day, comes this huge attack from Satan. He does never give up. It's it's very perplexing to me to read these words where he talks about if you think you could, you know, move here or go there or wherever to get away from him and you can't. And I have to say, I kind of wondered about that when I moved here. I moved to this place that was so beautiful, brothers and sisters, just the heart's desire for me. I mean, just a real rich blessing. And you would think, you know, I have, uh, I'm on two acres and there's not really anybody around me. My one neighbor is, you know, a good way across the street. My one neighbor next to me, I can't hardly even see because there's so much brush between us. And yet I tell you, Satan has found the most creative ways to attack me and cause me to have to wrestle in prayer, not against flesh and blood, but in prayer. I'll just give you a couple of examples. I mean, here I am living in the country. I've only been here now, I think about nine months, maybe 10 months. And yeah, I think it's right at 10 months now. My neighbor who I was friendly with, an older lady, I was real friendly with her when we first moved in and I tried to be an example, God-fearing Christian example to her. Well, comes to find out she's Jehovah's Witness and I always noticed there was just something very weird about this individual. There was something just off. I couldn't explain it. Very weird. She becomes very, very bothersome. She starts yelling over her fence at me. Hey, you know, excuse me, mister, sir, sir. She never would remember my name. And it was just really bizarre. I couldn't understand. And then it just, I would always be nice. Yeah, hey, how you doing? But it got to the point where it was just invasive. And I'd be out in the middle of my yard trying to pray. And here would come this yelling from across the fence while I'm in prayer. Or I would, you know, be standing at the corner of the pasture with my hands raised one time, praising the Lord. And I turn around and she goes, that was just beautiful. I I saw that. That was just beautiful. And so she's standing over here staring at me while I'm praying. And it just becomes, it goes downhill from here. Well, she ends up, you've heard the story perhaps in the blog entry. She ends up, you know, confronting me and cursing me one day because I had to tell her that she's very bothersome. Well, as it turns out, she's been diagnosed with schizophrenia. And so now she comes by the house and she wants to have me have a conversation with this man named Sig who doesn't even exist. Uh, just three days ago, a gentleman comes and knocks on my door and says, am I related to this person next door? And I said, no, sir, I'm not. He goes, oh, well, I'm so-and-so, her insurance agent. We've been trying to get in touch with her. We can't reach her. And he begins to tell me, I think I just had one of the most bizarre experiences I've ever seen, I've ever had. And I could tell this guy was really upset. He was disturbed by what had just happened to him. So he, he knocks on her door and he asks her about her insurance. He is her insurance agency. And he's trying to get in touch with her about some things. And he, he knocks on her door and she says, you know, I don't know about that. Let me ask my niece. And he names, she names the niece. And she takes a fake phone, like in her hand, like a visible phone. She holds it up to her ear and she starts speaking into it. And the man thinks that she has like a Bluetooth device maybe in her ear and that she's really talking to somebody. And the next thing he knows, she tries to hand him the phone. And she says, here, she wants to talk to you. And she reaches out her hand and hands him an invisible phone. And this guy just came over. He was so sheepish. He's like, I don't even know what to do with this. And I've been dealing with this now regularly where there's, you know, hey, she wants to talk to me about a conversation I just supposedly had with her brother, who's my landlord. And I'm like, I'm sorry, 
I haven't seen him in weeks. I don't, I haven't had a car. No, 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 no. You, we just talked about it. I'm like, no, I'm sorry. So-and-so. And I said, I'm really concerned for you. And then she just gets so mad at me. And so you have all that happening. Then you have these cats who I started to show love to and care for. And then they just became so absolutely obnoxious. You can't even imagine if you had had a video of this, you wouldn't believe it. Them following me around in my prayer field, waiting for me, no matter where, if I ever stop, they come to me and interrupt me. I'll be on my knees praying. And the next thing I know, a cat is all rubbing around my groin area and flicking their tail and all this kind of stuff. I mean, just assaulting me with this. So you can see here I am in the land of peace. Satan has always found ways to attack, always finds it. I mean, it's amazing. Even then, now I basically have become ousted, if you will, by most of my neighbors. I have a few neighbors that are kind of significant, quote, Christians, and they're good, quote, Southern Baptists. And as I've got to know some of them, naturally, my life is about walking with God, knowing him, the internal life. And when you find and meet religious people, these two people cannot walk together. And so... These people said they were so appreciative of me being here in the beginning until I started telling them about real Christianity, the crucified life. And I started to confront behaviors and decisions and heart motives that I saw that were coming out of their mouth about things. And I started to confront one gentleman being very influential. And uh, these people all turned against me. And I had to, and I saw so much sin in several of their lives and I would confront and now they've kind of all conspired and turned against me and they don't even wave anymore when I wave. I mean, this is what's happened. Here I am just trying to mind my own business, keep the peace, do what God's asked me to do, help people, and Satan never ceases to find ways to come and threaten, to come and cause me to have to wrestle, to cause, you know, infliction or, I mean, you just, you, I could just tell you stories. It's amazing. This is the Christian life. It's warfare. So you, you have this very paradoxical, I don't know, ironic is maybe the better word where you have this peace and this rest and this fullness of joy. And yet at the same time, you long to die and be with God. You know, you, you hear me regularly mentioning that I hope I die. So please, if I ever do, do not feel sorry for me one bit. Know that God finally answered my prayer. Right now, my prayers of late have been, Lord, you know, when Persis comes back, allow me to enjoy some time with her. If you're willing, allow me to enjoy a good number of years with her. And if not, so be it, your will be done. I said, but perhaps you could take us out together. That's been a, a desire for me is for my wife and I to pass away together, perhaps in a, you know, an accident of some kind. But nonetheless... You have this very weird, ironic paradox here where you are blessed of the Lord in your heart here. You have peace, you have rest, you have the presence of the Lord, but you get to this place where even though you've entered into what is called fullness in Christ, you long for him even more. You continue to be unsatisfied and you continue to yearn for heaven above. And I, I tell you, I cannot take credit for this. It is only the work of the Holy Spirit. And, it, and a lot of it has to do with how much suffering he's allowed in my life at the hands of Satan. You get tired of the battle. There are times, honestly, brothers and sisters, where I have found myself in prayer going, Lord, am I ever going to just quit on the battle? Am I ever just going to say, you know, I'm out on this suffering thing? And I've often wondered even much. I've wondered if the Lord would ever look at me and say, okay, he's had enough. Let's get him out. That honestly, the Lord has seen I have suffered so much nonstop. Brothers and sisters, I'm not bragging. I'm not being dramatic. You hear it. You know the stories. You know how much suffering there's been. It's nonstop. You know, it's, it's pretty obvious why God would give me a, a Genesis 12, 2 promise when you look at how much Satan has hated my life trying to destroy me even from the day I was born, where my father trips down the steps and sticks his head with me in his arms through the plate glass window at the bottom. You can see 
how all of the abuses and the neglect and the abandonment and people and things that tried to hurt me and the, you know, 18 wheeler accidents and all the horrible things that happened. It's like Satan's been trying to destroy me from day one, knowing that one day maybe God was going to raise me up to be an example to a lot of people and help people be brought out of the darkness into the light, out of lukewarm, powerless, defeated, disobedient, faithless Christianity, quote, Christianity, we'll call it churchianity, into the true crucified life of Christianity. And so I have battled so much that sometimes I find, Lord, is there ever going to be a day when you're just going to pull the plug on this? Like you're going to go, that's it. He's had enough, you know, like he sees that that, that's it. And that day is coming for me. There's coming a day when the Lord is going to say, he's had enough. Let's get him out of there. And then I get to go enjoy my reward. And that's why I know all of this suffering that I've gone through is not going to be worth comparing to the glory of seeing God the Father. The first time I get to see him, think about it. If my heart stops now, one second from now, or let's just say two minutes after my brain's fully dead, I get to step into the presence of, the, of God. I get to, to lay eyes on Jesus. My heart's desire is for him. I, I want always to stay that way. And that's another reason why I'm so thankful that Father took Persis from me the way he has done. You know, and, and allowed this suffering. He's such an amazingly wonderful Romans 8.28 God to have worked constantly for a guy with great passion and enthusiasm to keep all of it aimed at him. I've told the Lord, Father, don't allow me to cool off in any way down here so that when I see you, I'm caught by surprise. Like, oh, there he is. Oh, yeah, I kind of forgot about this part. No, I want to be longing for him. And brothers and sisters, I do an awful lot of longing for God and for heaven because of Satan, because of the suffering. You see, you've heard me testify. You've got to get in on this fullness of Christ. You've got to get in on this crucified life. You've got to get in on having this presence of the Lord with you like this. But at the same time, you hear me talk about all this suffering and how I want to go to heaven. What a paradox. What an irony that is, right? It, see, it's. I think the best description is John Bunyan's description in Pilgrim's Progress about there being this Beulah land, kind of a paradise-type land, before you go into Canaan. And Canaan could be a picture of heaven. You know, the full-blown promised land for you and I to enter into his rest is when we leave the death of this body behind and we step into life eternal in Christ Jesus. That is our real rest, our real, quote, promised land. But God does have a promised land type or a Beulah land experience, if you want to call it, here beforehand where you can... It's like, it's so bizarre. I can't even put it into words. How is it? I'm living a heavenly life and yet I'm yearning for it. I'm alive in Christ and yet I, I know him and yet I want to know him more. I'm not satisfied. It's, it's, it's so bizarre. I'm saved, but I'm not satisfied. I'm blessed, but I'm not satisfied. I have answered prayers. I have all kinds of evidence. God's with me. I'm not satisfied. I want more. I want to go home. And I'm trying not to be in a hurry. I don't have a, a death wish, but I can say that the one wonderful thing about suffering, you know, and the one wonderful thing about Satan is that it does get you to a point where you're like, I am done with this life. Remember how the Bible says he who has suffered in his body is done with sin? It is that. It's when you've suffered, it's not only done with sin, you're done with the world. You're done with the temporary and you want to be gone. You, you, you hate your life in this life. You want to be with God. You see, and listen, what I'm talking about, writers have written about for thousands of years. It's deeply, amazingly mysterious. And only God can work this desire into you. I couldn't become this kind of Christian. Father had to work it into me in exact accordance with my temperament, my mission, my personality, my sins, my all of these things, he worked exactly into my life, the amount of circumstances, both good and bad, evil and blessings into my life to get me to this place where I long for him. And when Persis comes back, you know, our whole focus is going to be on just continuing to long after him, to serve after him, to keep him as top priority and and allow the Lord to bring whatever kind of suffering he wants in our life all the way to the end of our life to keep us from putting our roots in this earth, to keep us from wanting to ever be comfortable. I, I realize how important that is now because 
you can become so comfortable. You know, you can just camp out here and and build a house on the land and just go like, yeah, this is my life. I'm from here. I'm always going to be here. That is not the life of a sojourner. That is not the life of a sojourner. And that's exactly what I even gave the name to this tiny house. If we were naming tiny houses, I called it the sojourner because it has wheels on it. You know, it doesn't mount to the ground. It's like Abraham. They lived in tents and dwelled and moved around. They didn't have a country or a place of their own. And right now, as it still stands, I don't have a property of my own. And I kind of like it like that. I kind of have wondered if that's what the Lord's intentional plan has been, because I want to always be thinking of going home. And that's a battle. That's a fight. It takes consistent faith to do that. Okay, end of commentary. I have these moments sometimes where I'm so overwhelmed with God's goodness. He just blesses me and fills me with His Spirit. And in this moment, I'm so uh, thankful for what God has just continually reaffirmed for me this morning, that my purpose is to encourage and strengthen the feeble knees and, and, and feeble hands of others, to, to strengthen them, that that is my mission that God has called me to strengthen. And someone might look at a Joel Osteen and say, oh, is he not called to strengthen and encourage the body? But part of strengthening is helping somebody to get the poison out of their life. If all I come to you is give you broccoli, but I never tell you to stop drinking the rat poison, I'm never going to actually authentically be able to strengthen you. But if I come to you and say, look, you were created to be a superman under God most high. You are created creation of the creator. We have to get this kryptonite out of your life, Superman, so that you can be strong. If I fail to help a person to see the kryptonite in their life, the sin, the bad thinking, the bad habits, the poor faith, if I don't confront those areas and I leave a person just with a new, wonderful salad to eat, filled with proteins and vitamins and essential oils and fatty acids and all that, I give that to them, but they continue to have that kryptonite in their life, the salad will have no impact. It might make me look good. It might provide them temporary sustenance, but all the while, their health is going to continue to deteriorate. So part of strengthening is tearing down. Part of encouraging is is making people feel uncomfortable to move out of the wasteland that they're in to a better place. And sometimes that requires words that make people feel uncomfortable. And... Anyhow, I just was good. I wanted to record this that God has shown me more and more how He's helping me to strengthen people. I'm not tearing people down by me pushing in on people's blind spots and by me helping people to confront their areas of weakness or their areas of sin. I'm actually lifting them up and strengthening them and helping them to identify the weakness that can be replaced by God's strength through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today is uh, the 16th of February, and I've decided that I need to continually every day go through the John 16, uh, John 7, 17 challenge, and I'm on day 16 today, and I need to just continue to get the word in me. I rode the exercise bike last night, and I'm going to start going through the daily or the weekly challenges, memory challenges, one every day. There's five of them. I'm going to do one every day so that I can have these in me so ingrained What's amazing to me is this morning I was sitting here reading these teachings 46, 47, 48, John 12, 24 through 25, Matthew 16, 24 through 27, and Luke 14, 25 through 26. And um, I received an email. I checked my email. I received an email from a a man named Michael, and he his life has fallen apart, divorce, uh, loss of career, being sued by a former employer, all kinds of horrible stuff, and he's begging for help and faith and and uh, trust in God and and I was just I did a recording for him and every one of these scriptures was applicable every one of them and I was able to off of the top of my head share these scriptures interestingly enough this new project I've started putting scriptures into categories like suffering perseverance waiting on God because I had done those I was able to share all three of these scriptures I was able to remember the, the the teachings, and I go, my goodness, I see why God is wanting me to memorize more and more scripture. I probably shared fifty scriptures with this guy in this in this 
I mean, they just come to me. And I'm like, God, thank you. Now I also see that these, as God sends me these people uh, to, you know, the, the, to, to make these recordings for, the Holy Spirit reminds me of so much scripture. I bet if I listen back to that recording, I, I bet you I mentioned at least, I don't know, I was talking for 35 minutes, I probably mentioned 30, 40, 50 scriptures and, and, and quoted them. And I just think to myself, that is amazing. I could have never done that years ago. God has so filled me with scripture, and it's not my words that are helping somebody. It's the word of Christ. And I think to myself, if I tried to make that recording off the top of my head, and I had to take the time to go do all this research to find all these scriptures, well, I could spend an hour. Instead, I'm able to, by the Holy Spirit, speak led of him into a person's situation, and the scriptures just come to me. And now I'm seeing more and more why God has been saying to me for two years now, basically, store up my commands, store up my word. And I now know it's not just the words of Christ. He wants me to get all of these these good top scriptures. Get them in me. Because there's power in His words. There's not power in my words. If I just give somebody a 35-minute motivational talk, they may be encouraged for five minutes, but they're not left with anything that will sustain them. That's food that perishes. Food that endures to eternal life, the words that are speared in our life are the words of Christ, the words of the Lord. So, just so encouraging. God keeps, as I'm serving other people, God is showing me, now do you see why I've asked you to do this? Now do you see why I want you to continue to do this? Oh, how God is blessing me. Oh, I want to capture a testimonial of God's financial faithfulness. I have seen probably several hundred times. I don't want to say several hundred, but it's been many, 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 many times. I've been down to my last few dollars, shillings, if you will, and God comes in. And I've just realized this morning that I checked my checking account balance, which I rarely look at, and it was $300. It was actually like two. 80-something. I had enough money in my savings to transfer over. I've got a $300 child support check that I sent a couple of days ago, and um, I uh, didn't have enough money in my checking account to cover it. So I moved over enough money in my savings. That leaves me about $2 in savings, and I have $300.90. One dollar to spare in my checking account to cover. I have $9 and something on my Starbucks card, so I'm going to go today to work, to do the work the Lord has asked me. And and I have no way of knowing where the money's coming from, but it will come. And I've seen this happen literally no less than probably a hundred times, I guess, maybe. And again, I shouldn't say a hundred times. It's been five years, but there's been so many times. I don't really have a way of knowing how many calculations or how to calculate it. But God just comes through. And it's almost like I've been living exactly like I think of it this morning, George Mueller down to their last piece of bread, down to their last shilling, and then there's a knock at the door. And, and I used to wonder, oh, but God, you know, even if somebody buys a book today, you know, it's going to take three days to get the money in my account. And that's not going to be, I used to be fret and worry. And now you just, you see God provide so many times that you just know he's going to provide. So today I'm just uh, making a timestamp of one of these accounts that it's one of those times where I'm down to my last shilling and I'm not going to ask anybody for money. I never have in five years. I don't think I've asked any person for money since I moved here. Let's just call it four years in May um, that I've been here. I don't ask anybody for money. Now, one time I've borrowed like 30 bucks from my parents or $80. They give me the, the, the cash and I give them a check or borrowed it for a day or two when I knew money was already coming in. Rarely, but that's happened multiple times uh, throughout the four-year period, but I don't ask, and I'm not going to ask. I ask my Father. So this morning, I said, Lord, you see my checking account balance. You're the God of all provision, Father. I thank you that you're sending money, and it's already on its way. I mean, God is already working on my behalf before I've even prayed to prayer this morning. Before I even knew what my checking account balance is, I can trust that my Father has already been working on my behalf to bring the finances in. And there'll be the money that comes in from somewhere. I never know how. It just does. And it's just, God is so awesome. And so a person is so reluctant to trust God. And even if they hear my story and my accounts of how God's dealt, they, they want to say, well, that doesn't apply to me. 
You know, I don't have that kind of faith and I can't live like that. And I just don't see how God can just provide out of thin air. And oh, I think to myself, now I know what George Mueller means when he says this way of living brings the Lord so close where you totally trust. Now, I'm not lollygagging. I'm not sitting on the couch with my hands in my shorts watching football or TV or anything like that. I'm about the Father's business. I'm working hard on memorizing scripture. I'm working hard on helping people. I make recordings. I answer emails. I make videos. I'm about my Father's business. So I'm trusting that if I do my work and do what He's asked me to do, He provides. I'm not lollygagging, in other words. You can't just sit around and expect God to take care of you. I work hard. My parents will tell you they've never seen anybody work so hard. You know, I, I've worked, you know, just for years. I work hard. Doesn't mean I don't take rest, but I work hard on what God's asking me to work on because He's given me a good energy to do so. Not always, but most of the time, 95% of the time, He strengthens me. So anyhow, quick capture about finances. I had a very powerful experience this morning. I've been crying a lot. I, um, I listened to this uh, YouTube video called, Are You Hungry?, it was a, a sermon jam by uh, David Wilkerson, Paul Washer, and several other men, and it was just uh, done very well. It was power clips invoking people to press through and to seek God and to hunger for Him like never before. And it got to a part where Paul Washer was telling of his testimony about how he went out into the woods. He had found God, and then he went into to a store to buy himself a pair of shoes and realized that Jesus was not in anything he was doing. He couldn't feel Jesus anymore, and he thought, what in the world happened? And so he began to sit for hours at a time in a prayer closet, waiting for God, hungering for God, seeking Him as the Bible asks us to with all of our heart. And <clears throat> he um, he ends up finding God in an extraordinary way. And... I started to just weep because I just did a video today that says, why am I the only one? Why do I have to be the one to tell people there's so much more? And there's just been this burden in my heart. God has placed this burden in my heart to help people that are already reached to become evangelized. In other words, to help them to experience and encounter and actually know the living God, not just be a part of His club that associates themselves to him in name only. And I have been wrestling with God for months and primarily the last few weeks over God help me to figure out, Father, how I can help people to know you. And it's been a burden of mine for so long. And um, last night I got called up to the mountain and it was about 4.30 when I had looked up from my work and knowing that God had been saying, come to the mountain, come to the mountain. And I was like, Lord, it's 4.30, can I go tomorrow? It's going to be late. And it was like, I just knew, no, I needed to go. The Father asked me to go, I'm going to go. I went. I ended up being able to walk all the way down the mountain and up my my favorite little rocky trail in prayer the whole time. And I ended coming back up the trail into this kind of opening in the canopy of the woods, although it's winter time. I stood there at the sun had completely gone behind the earth. It was getting dark. And I'm standing there just looking up with my hands lifted up, voice elevated to God Almighty, begging Him to inspire me and encourage me so that I can help make His name known in all the earth and for Him to bless me with this amazing story. People want to see that God is powerful. People want to know that He is the Lord. And right now, God has given me such a burden... (laughs) And it's like everything in me is going to die if I don't do this. If I don't help people to know Him. And so I was listening to this message and I just collapsed and started to weep and put my hands and just coming out of me, coming out of me, the Holy Spirit just literally wiping me out in gratitude that God has done this in my heart, that I am one of those who hungered and thirsted. I am one who gave up everything to find this treasure. I am one who sacrificed my entire life on the altar. And I can't say it was a sacrifice anymore. It's only a sacrifice until you find God. When you find God, and He sees that your sacrifice is authentic, and your motivations are pure, 
and your aim is for Him and not His stuff, God steps in and blesses you in such ways that what you would call a sacrifice, you can no longer call a sacrifice. And I just melted before the Father, but also I've dropped to my knees twice while I was trying to do dishes because I just begged the Father, God, help me to make you known. Help me to make you known. That's what my prayer over it is. Help me to make you known. And so I just know and believe and declare that I am little known. Nobody hears my voice. When I do a video, maybe 45 views on YouTube. Nobody knows who I am. I'm an absolute nobody. And I've been this way for two years. As God has been stoking this fire and building this fire and increasing this fire, increasing my wisdom, increasing my character, burning off all the dross, purifying me in my soul, strengthening my faith. God is building me and building me and building me and building me and building me. And I know that my day of relief in the Lord is coming. There is going to come a day when this burden I will be released into. And God will allow me to not just do onesie twosies. This is bigger than just doing one or two people. This needs to be thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people. I'm okay with doing onesies, but that's not the size of my burden. The size of my burden is for the masses to come to the table of Christ and eat. To come to the cross of Christ and die. To come to the person of Christ and live an abundant life. The true Holy Spirit indwelt life. Not this ridiculous thing we call Christianity. We have been so blinded and so warped and this, the, the whole thing has been so perverted by Satan himself. There's nothing left of Christianity in the American churches today except for a cross on the building that nobody even knows what the meaning to it is. The story of the cross has been perverted. That's why when I went to churches, I'm like, where are the people that know you, God? Where are the people that love you? Why is it when I go to church, I have to leave Jesus in the car? Why do people call themselves by your name and not love you and obey you and know you and sacrifice to you? But get right back in their shiny little Mercedes, their shiny little whatever it is, right off into their shiny little life and completely riding a luxury bus to hell. That is exactly what it is. People are riding a bus to hell. They do not know him. It's like people watching my videos. A guy sends me an email this morning. He says, I feel like I know you, but he doesn't know me. He doesn't know me. Even if he watched every video I've ever made, he doesn't know me. And this is the way it is with the the people sitting in churches, they hear sermons, they read the Bible, they go and feed the homeless people on Tuesdays, they wash the single parent mom's cars on Mother's Day, they go and feed in the soup kitchens on Saturdays, but they don't know the living God. They've replaced activity for an absolute, authentic, meaningful, deep relationship with God. The people don't know Him they're not experiencing Him. And they attribute common grace and the fact that they ask for rain and it rained. God knows me. God loves me. God favors me. I have money in the bank. God knows me. God loves me. God favors me. Forgetting that Satan told Jesus, all of this has been given to me. I give it to whoever I want. That And we know the whole world is under the control of the evil one. The whole world. Dominion has been given to the devil. Christians are not going to take back. That dominionist theology is from the crapper. Christians are not going to take this back. What they can take back is their heart from the world. They can take back their essence from the devil. They can take back their spirit from this American dream and give it to God. That's what a Christian can control and take dominion over. And the, and the way you take dominion over it is by letting it go. By surrendering it to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. How mysterious is this thing called 
Christianity and walking with God, that God creates us, allows us to stumble in sin, completely walking away from Him, entering into total darkness, lack of understanding, completely washed of all things God, coming into this world, bent away from Him, not towards Him, and then yet allows us through free will to choose to come back to Him through surrender to Him. How bizarre is this thing called Christianity? What kind of a love is this that God would give chance after chance after chance after chance, never once thwarting men's free will choice to choose everything but Him? Oh God, the sun shines even now. It's been a cloudy day and the sun has broken through and how I pray that God's sun and His light breaks through into the dark hearts of men. There is no burden in my soul greater than those who call themselves by the name above all names and who walk and live as if named by the name of the darkest of all sons that have ever lived. And those who are so greatly deceived as to think that their way of living is actually Christian, Christ-like. We make excuse after, nobody's perfect, everybody's a sinner, you're not saved by obedience, you're saved by grace. If you are ever saved by grace, you live in obedience. If you are truly, truly saved by His grace, you are truly, truly obsessed with His magnificence. And you obey and you surrender and you live obsessed with Him. When you wake up in the middle of the night, you think about Him. Two, three times you wake up in the middle of the night thinking about Him. When you go to sleep at night, you're thinking about Him. When you wake up in the morning, you're thinking about Him. When you walk down your hallway, you're thinking about Him. When you're driving down the car, down the road, you're thinking about Him. Because there's no greater thing to think about. God help us. God help us.